Well, we toyed around with a six or an eight place. And I guess you go back to the Everett mindset. If you're going to do something, do it right and do it big. And we looked at, you know, we weighed the options, we weighed the costs, the benefits, and, you know, what an impact to have people uh, be able to experience this, this eight place lift, you know, tearing down those two lifts that are over there, installing one lift that'll actually give us, you know, obviously a lot more capacity over there. That was a no brainer. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester, back to Michigan today to talk about the huge plans in the works at Boyne Mountain. First though, remember, go subscribe to the free Storm Skiing newsletter at stormskiing.com. Look, I'm not a podcaster with a newsletter. I am a writer with a podcast. It's an important distinction. I love the podcast, but the Storm Skiing newsletter is the engine powering this whole operation. So go sign up, please. And then follow the storm on Instagram or Twitter at Storm Ski Journal. First, let's talk about my sponsor, Mountain Gazette. Founded in 1966, Mountain Gazette is a large format biannual print title celebrating mountain culture. If you're familiar with the traditional Mountain Gazette, you are going to be shocked when you see the new format. It is an absolute monster. 16 and a half inches tall by 10 and three quarters inches wide. What hasn't changed is the incredible, wide-ranging writing and show-stopping photography. I'll tell you what I mean. Issue 196, due out this fall, features a huge gallery titled The Last Days of Skiing in Afghanistan. Mountain Gazette connected with a photographer who captured what may be the last shots of skiing before the Taliban took over. This is the most powerful piece the magazine has done to date. Do not miss this. You need to subscribe today at mountaingazette.com to reserve your copy. Enter code GOHIRE10, all one word, for 10% off subscriptions. That will ensure you get that story and everything else in issue 196. Use code EASTCOAST, all one word, for 10% off everything else, including vintage magazine covers, which make great art for your home office or living room. Mountain Gazette. When in doubt, go higher. Episode 57, Ed Grice, General Manager of Boyne Mountain, Michigan, with a special guest appearance by Kerry Roeder, the ski area's Director of Marketing. Surely you've heard of Boyne Resorts, the monster that owns nine ski areas across North America. We're talking about some heavy ammunition too. Two of the best ski resorts in New England, in Sunday River and Sugarloaf. Of course, they've got Brighton, just buried in that light Utah pow, a big Cottonwood Canyon. And of course, the flagship of the whole operation, Big Sky. But unlike Vail or Altera or Powder, Boyne didn't start in the West. It doesn't have a headquarters in Colorado. In fact, it has no presence in Colorado at all. Boyne is headquartered at Boyne Mountain, Michigan, the company's original ski area dating back to the 1940s. You don't see that a lot. A small ski area gobbling up big ski areas. Usually, it's the other way around. But ever since Boyne bought Big Sky back in the 1970s, it's been a national player. It's not really surprising that Boyne became what it did. Founder Everett Kircher was always brazenly experimental. The first quad chair in the world was at Boyne Mountain. And the world's first triple was up the road at Boyne Highlands. The first chairlift in the world 
period in the entire world, Sun Valley's original single chair still rides up Boyne Mountain as the hemlock chair, though it was long ago converted into a double. And America's first six-pack was not at Breckenridge or Mammoth or Vale, but Boyne Mountain, Michigan. That spirit of boldness continues, as outlined in the Mountain's recently released 2030 plan. Not only are they dropping the Midwest's first eight-pack on that hill, but they're upgrading the rest of the lift fleet as well, dropping in RFID, and stringing a hell of a cool pedestrian bridge across the summit, and a whole lot more. And Ed Grice is going to tell us all about that today. Let's go. My guest today has been the general manager of Boyne Mountain, Michigan since 2004. Boyne Mountain is one of the largest ski areas in Michigan's Lower Peninsula, with 60 trails served by 12 lifts on 500 vertical feet spread across 415 acres. Boyne Mountain, which opened in 1948, was the first mountain in the Boyne Resorts portfolio, which now includes nine resorts spread across North America. He began his career at Boyne Mountain in 1974 as a dishwasher and busboy. Ed Grice joins me. Also joining Ed today is the director of marketing for Boyne Mountain Resort. She has spent the past eight years developing Boyne Mountain's brand voice, curating content, and leading the sales strategy for lift tickets, season passes, and activities. Carrie Roeder will give us some insight into Boyne's tradition of the long season. Ed, Carrie, so good to have both of you on the show today. Well, thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks, Stuart. So, Ed, let's start with your career here. I want to go back to the very beginning. Tell us about your first job at Boyne Mountain back in the 1970s. Well, it was in a, it's what we call Erickson's uh, restaurant right now. At, at that time, it was just known as the Main Lodge. Uh, and and I, I, I still remember that day walking up the, the stone stairway at the, at the uh, lodge, at the Clock Tower Lodge. And Getting the application, looking out at the ski hill and seeing this this uh, big face of hemlock, and thought, and I just fell in love then. And and uh, and I was hired as a well, the the uh, said dishwasher busboy. You started out actually as the dishwasher, and you graduated to the busboy. Uh, so that's kind of how it uh, that's kind of how it started. Was that your first job, Ed? It was my first tax paying job. <laughs> yep, absolutely. You grew up in the area there. Yeah, yeah, Boyne City, just a few couple miles uh, west of here. And were you a skier before you started ski, uh, working there? Never, never. No, the first time I skied actually was just after I, I started working here that winter. I borrowed some skis uh, from a young lady that I knew in school, and I actually used her uh, uh, the Nordica foam fills, if you remember those, fitted to her feet. <laughs> Uh, so that shows you how much I knew about skiing at the time. I, I just remember it wasn't very comfortable. Now, now this has changed a little bit over the years, but Boyne is a steep mountain, and that whole green pot of terrain that you have far skiers left, that wasn't there at the time. That is a rough mountain to learn on. What was that like trying to learn on that pitch? Well, I, I, again, no no ski instruction. I, I went down, and, and the person I was skiing with said, you're going to kill yourself. <laughs> and and I, I, I finally realized that I probably needed to learn a little bit more about it. And, 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 and I did and, and, and fell in love with it. Did you end up learning on Boyne Mountain or did you explore a little bit more? Or did you just go over to Ramshead? What was your, what was your strategy? Well, uh, at the time, uh, Top Notch uh, was a, a little area that we had with its, with its own lift that was over there and, and, mm. and over there. 
uh, deer run on cold springs were more of my style right then. And, and, and that's kind of where I learned from. So that was pretty, pretty unique many years ago. So being back at Boyne Mountain in the 1970s, that was before Boyne had expanded into this big coast to coast portfolio that we know today. And that's when it was ruled over by Everett Kircher, the company's founder. So you must have worked with him. Did you work with Everett at all? I did. I, I was blessed to spend a number of years uh, as the area manager uh, working working under him. And and those that knew Everett uh, knew that he truly was the area manager at Boyne Mountain because, you know, you, you every move you made, it was, uh, you know, under his direction. And uh, but what a blessing, what an education. I, I, I tell you, you know, the, the, the uh, 10 years I spent working directly with him, uh, you, you couldn't buy an education like that. You know, it, it's so interesting because Everett bought the mountain for, I, I think, a dollar, if I have that right. And and I don't even know if he had any experience in skiing or ski areas before that, but but he just learned it. So so he was kind of the self-made man of skiing, right? He was. He loved to ski. He frequented Sun Valley. Um, he uh, uh, he developed uh, uh, a little device that sits at the Eagles Nest restaurant on top of the Boyne Mountain Hill, uh, a Sears and Roebuck motor uh, with a jute rope uh, on a toboggan, and and that was uh, uh, that was his uh, uh, chairlift or his uh, his rope toe, if you will, uh, to skiing when he was in the, in the uh, Metro Detroit area. And then uh, night skiing was you, you turn the headlights on your car. <laughs> Unbelievable. Do you have any place on the mountain where you honor that legacy or allow Everett to live on in some way? Well, every every place here. I mean, it's it's, it's it has his imprint and he's going to be gone. It'll be, I think, 20 years in, in January. And there's not a, you know, his imprint is still all over this place uh, from from the chairlifts, the chairlift locations, certainly snowmaking and, and some of those innovations that, that happened over the years. And, 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 you know, what an education, as I said, and, and he was, uh, you know, he was a, it was an interesting fellow. He uh, certainly a taskmaster, um, you know, he, dev- he wanted the best out of you. Just, just like the, uh, you know, the best coach you ever had, uh, you know, he, he brought out the best in you. And, and, if it, and if he thought you weren't doing your best, you were going to hear about it. So take us through your career here. You start as dishwasher, send all the way up to general manager. Take us through that progression over the decades. Well, um, just after I was, uh, uh, I was in the dining room that first winter and the bar manager came down and, and said the bartender uh, didn't show up. Any of you guys ever attended bar? Well, I, I, I never have, but I raised my hand because I figured it was better than lugging dishes around. And <laughs> so I became a bartender and I did that for a few days until they found out I was 16 years old. <laughs> and so I got, I got busted back to dishwasher and busboy. But over the years, there's, you know, been many different things from, from being a snowmaker, uh, uh, you know, uh, the front desk, I, I, I work shifts at the front desk, hotel maintenance. I spent several years, you know, working in hotel maintenance, um, a carpenter. I, I became a pretty good carpenter and, and actually worked at Boyne Highlands for a number of years um, when we were building the Heather Highlands Inn hotels and and uh, in the country club of Boyne and the, and the Ross Pro Shop. So, you know, Every I look back and every one of those little different things that I learned and, and did 
uh, really gave me the tools to what I do today. So you've been at Boeing the entire time, Ed? No breaks, no... Oh, no. There's a couple of breaks. I got fired okay. a couple of times. Uh, oh, yeah? Yeah, in my early 20s. Okay. Uh, I was asked to go find something else to do for a while. Chuck Mall was the managing director at the time. And he got a little sick of my antics. Um, and and I was young and 20, and my goal was to make enough money every week to at least cover my bar bill. And <laughs> and and so uh, he decided that I was probably better off away. And and so um, I, I, I left for a period of time, and he called me back, and he said, uh, have you grown up any? And I right. said, well, uh, I, I think so. And he says, well, he says, I've got a job for you. And, and he had some remodeling work that they wanted to take care of in the fall in the hotel and remodeling some of the restrooms and bathrooms in the Boyne house. And so I came back and said, well, Mr. Mall, I'm, I'm making $8 an hour and you're only paying me six. And he says, look, if you want the job, be here Monday. So I showed up Monday and two weeks later, I got my check and I was still making $6 an hour. <laughs> so how long did that go on for? Oh, I suppose a while. I don't really remember, but <laughs> but that was Mr. Mall. Uh, he, uh, he was he was pretty uh, cognizant of where the money was going at the time. So, so you said you got fired a couple times. Was that was that number one? That that was the first one. <clears throat> and then a couple of years later, uh, uh, he thought I should go do something else again. And then uh, I was fortunate enough to come back uh, and, uh, as I say, work at the Highlands for a number of years. And then back down here in 91 when we moved the McLaugh lift to Victor. <clears throat> and then in preparation for the installation of the six-place lift, uh, the Mountain Express Doppelmayr in 92. And you've stuck around ever since? Been here ever since. You know, they, they couldn't get rid of me. What, what keeps you at Boyne? At? I, I think Boyne's an interesting company to me because it's it's one of the big ski companies. There's the big four ski companies, right, that everyone always talks about, Bell, Altera, Powder, and Boyne. But Boyne, it's interesting. It's still a family-owned operation. Just talk a little bit about that culture and what it's like to work there and, and why you've stuck around for so long. You know, I've never worn a watch. <clears throat> um because I, I, it's every day goes by, you know, so fast, and and uh, it's it's been enjoyable. I, I've been able to be outdoors, you know, my entire career. Um, Everett, as as I mentioned earlier, I was able to learn so much from him, and 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 was so grateful for that education that I got. And and I think being a family-owned company, um, it, you know, we we certainly as an overall company, uh, have a pretty big footprint, but you know, there, there's not a time day or night. I couldn't get on the phone and, and, and call Stephen Kircher or, or any of the other folks that are within the company leadership and, and, uh, you know, have a, have an honest conversation about whatever is needed. And it's, it's been a blessing. I mean, I just, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. It's been interesting to watch, Boyne evolve, especially over the last 20 years or so under Steven. Did you ever see Boyne becoming what it is today with all these resorts coast to coast? I mean, I know that the company's had Big Sky since the 70s, but did, did you did you ever see a day when Boyne would be what it is today? Well, I think, you know, looking at Steven's leadership um, and, and what he's been able to do and and, and him trying to make as, as important as ever it was in, in, in developing all this, you know, Steven's been just as important trying to make us better. Um, you, you know, uh, as far as the overall company, you know, I, I don't know, but I'll tell you what, 
as an individual, uh, he's made each of us so much better and, and, you know, customer service and our performance. And, and we look at him and, and, and he's trying to do the same thing for himself every day. He's trying to make himself better and challenge himself. And I think that, you know, just bleeds down through the ranks. It's certainly been uh, an interesting evolution to watch. So, so let's focus on Boyne Mountain here. And I want to just go back to the 70s here, Ed. What was Boyne Mountain like in the 70s? Well, um, I think Boyne Mountain's always been, you know, uh, a little more relaxed. Uh, the, the rules aren't, aren't as strict as, as they probably are in other places. And, you know, at, with under my leadership, I think, and, it, and, and it's been the culture here that, you know, as long as you don't hurt yourself or anybody else or put anybody else in harm's way, you know, you're, the rules are relaxed. You can kind of do what you want. And and uh, I think that, you know, whether that's, you know, train parks that de- were developed or tree skiing, re- just remember back, it, it wasn't that many years ago that people were, they would frown if you were in the trees. Yep. Ski patrol would run after you and grab your ticket. <laughs> yep. Now, now we're now we're blading things out and parking it out and encouraging people to be in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's actually one of the changes I wanted to ask you about, Ed, because I started skiing Boyne uh, ninety four, ninety five, and there were no marked glades, and that wasn't unusual. I don't I don't know if there was a marked glade in the state of Michigan in the mid nineties. Maybe I think Marquette Mountain might have had one, but other than that, it was very much like you stay on the trails. And and I skied Boyne fairly steadily throughout the 90s. And then I didn't go back for a long time because uh, I moved away. But I had a chance to ski there in 2019. And I was really impressed with the glading you'd built out over off Super Bowl and a few other places. Just talk about when when you decided to do that and why it made sense to start evolving that sort of terrain would have been taboo for so long. Well, yeah, it's Super Bowl is a, a, you know, with the Dave's glades over there that we have, we've also done a lot of work over at Disciples. We, we've spent uh a lot of time this summer glading things out over at the disciples area and we also have uh, a crew that's out there right now you know cleaning things up and and you know that's where the kids want to be they want to have fun there they they want to they, they and so let's make it let's make it as practical for them to be in there as possible that's really interesting that you've been glading over off disciples which which uh tree islands have you been focused on um, deep, around DL's Drop, down into Ramshead, there's a lot of nice terrain up in there. There's a lot of mature trees in there that that you can take out a lot of the smaller stuff and 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 uh, have a have some great terrain up in there. And we're blessed here. Well, with the exception of last year, we we typically get a lot of natural uh, lake effect snow, and so those areas are pretty decent skiing back in the woods, and they re- and and they retain the uh, snow later in the springtime also. So are you talking about the terrain skiers left at Devil's Dive? Yep. Yep. Skiers, skiers left down into there. Are there any other areas you, you've been glading? Yep. Uh, uh, Super Bowl. And then uh, and then at the, at the top going down uh, on the opposite side of that little valley uh, from Stein's Mambo down into, uh, into uh, Cold Springs down in there. So you're talking about uh, just Dave's Glade, the one that's been there? Yeah. Yep. And just opposite of that. Could you could you glade skiers right on Super Bowl? It's a nice pitch over there. Yeah, um, yeah, we we do own part of the property. Uh, we do have a, a neighbor that is tree line uh, at, at lower there, so that would be a little a little difficult farther down. But there's some air, nice areas up in there too. You bet. Is that stuff off Disciples Ridge? Is that going to go on the trail map? Yes. Yeah. Nice. 
Okay, cool. I'll look out for that. Earlier, we talked about just the steepness of Boyne Mountain, especially before you developed this whole terrain pod out by Dispels and Alpine. Just talk about that expansion, which I believe started late 90s, early 2000s, and how that kind of changed the character of the mountain and who was able to ski there as far as families and everything else. Well, uh, one of the, uh, I, I tell a funny story. My counterpart, uh, um, Dana Bullen, um, from Sunday River, uh, he was here in 2007 when we first became a part of that. And he looked up there and he looked at the 500 feet and, and from the dining room and he said, where's the rest of it? <laughs> and, 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 and I said, well, it's not hidden by fog or snow or anything. That's it. And he says, you guys are as busy as you are. It's, it was just unbelievable to him. But, but it really started in 96. We, we took uh, uh, the, uh, there was a Super Bowl, uh, a two-place lift on Super Bowl, Super Two, run up the center of Super Bowl, that really wasn't designed in a in a great location, and we decided to take that lift, the Borvik, and move it and create a slope called Boyneland for beginner skiers. Uh, incidentally, that lift uh, uh, that was on Super Bowl came from uh, the the '82 World's Fair in Knoxville, Tennessee. I actually rode that lift in Knoxville oh, wow. at the World's Fair uh, before it got torn down, and we we brought it here and installed it on Super Bowl. But that whole the beginner skier and 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 catering to that beginner intermediate really started then, um, and then over the next couple of years with building uh, what ended up being 118 Disciples Ridge condominiums. And then developing the Disciples Ridge uh, lifts that are over there right now um, and, and all that terrain that's there really got us uh, the family people that we, we so desired. Because as you mentioned, it's pretty steep in the center. And that just was a real uh, negative to, to that beginner skier. And we just didn't get them. Yeah, I think the the old operating model was, well, go to Boyne Highlands. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, or one of our so, co- uh, competitors, you know. Right, right. Uh, so you have a lot of really interesting chairlifts on Boyne Mountain. And I want to talk first about the Hemlock Chair. Tell us the significance of that chair, Ed, and where that originated from. Oh, my. Well, it, it's the uh, the first chairlift in the world. Um, it was uh, uh, it was uh, built in 1936. It was a dollar mountain lift at Sun Valley. Errol Hireman, uh, who uh, was developing Sun Valley, uh, he was the president of the Union Pacific Railroad, and he wanted to have a, uh, a lift. And of course, uh, the only thing back then were, you know, surface toes and, and gondolas. But he tasked his uh, railroad engineers to come up with a way to get people up the hill that that wasn't a gondola. And so, uh, one of the engineers that uh, was on the team came up with an idea that uh, that he mimicked from unloading and loading banana boats with uh, <laughs> continuous cable and a bull wheel on the ship and one on the shore that was just you know going around and and they would load and unload the the uh, the boat like that and instead of the hook for the banana uh, bundles they put a chair and and that became uh, the first chair lift uh, at at Sun Valley. Everett heard uh, from his ski instructor, uh, Victor, uh, that they were going to sell that lift. Everett bought it, had it dismantled, 
wooden towers, steel shivs, and all, a single seat lift, by the way, it wasn't anything that other than a single seat with a with a leather a leather padded seat had it shipped here to Boyne Mountain in uh, the the summer of 47 and and uh, and then in uh, January of of 1948 uh, they had all the local dignitaries uh, uh they had uh, uh senator william pearson who actually sold everett and his two partners the first 40 acres for a dollar um, and they had Van Patrick, who uh, was with the WJR at the time, uh, one of the big announcers of, of his era, and they had everybody here, and the lift started, and people started riding up, and people got about half, two-thirds of the way up, and kaput, it stopped. <laughs> oh. It seems that uh, uh, they unloaded, um, when they loaded the, the, uh, the equipment on the, the train to get it to Boyne Falls from, from Sun Valley, they drained the gearbox. They drained the oil out of it. Well, unfortunately, uh, no one bothered to put it back in, and Uh-oh. and so that was the that was the start on that January day, uh, in in 1948. Well, Everett recovered. They got a new gearbox. They got things going in short order, and and you know everything's been you know history uh, since then. Um, actually, you know, the, the steel towers or the, uh, the wooden telephone poles have been replaced, obviously, with steel towers, riblet-type uh, towers, shivs. But the lower bowl wheel and the upper bowl wheel and that lattice work are still part of that original 1936 lift built by the Union Pacific Railroad. That's unbelievable. Do you use that lift much or is it mostly just there for as a, as a museum piece? Uh, in the wintertime, it's it's mostly a, a weekend lift, but in the summertime, it runs every day. It's the lift that we use to transport people up to the restaurant on top of the hill. Mm-hmm. And it's the scenic lift that we use for this time of year. We'll have, you know, literally uh, you know, thousands of people every day riding up to the top of the hill and look at the view across the Boyne Valley. And that's the lift that we use for that. And it's also the lift we use on a daily basis for our zipline tours. So it's it probably gets as many or more hours than almost any other lift we have on property. And how do how do you feeling about that lift? Is it in good shape? Yeah, you know, it's in great shape. We've we've gone through over the years, and you know everything's been up to, updated, and and so you know the uh, the lattice towers have have all been inspected, and and so you know it's it's uh, it's a workhorse, and it, it's it it'll continue to be a workhorse, especially as we expand in some, into some of the other things that we're going to do over the next several years on top of the hill. Do you think that that's a lift that you're going to try to keep up forever? Where I, I know there's a lot of lifts that, you know, people have a sentimental attachment to them, but they, you know, it has a, it has a life. It's a machine, right? So even if you look at Mad River Glen, they did replace their single chair a few years back with another single chair, yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, they couldn't keep running it forever. Is your goal to run Hemlock as long as you possibly can? Well, uh, it, it, for the very foreseeable future, yes. Uh, you know, will that lift be here in 20 or 30 years? I probably won't be, in, and I would assume it, it wouldn't be either. So <laughs> I, 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 that's just, you know, again, it, it, as you said, it's a machine. It has, it has a life expectancy and uh, short of rebuilding it from scratch, you know, you gotta, you, you gotta replace it at some point in time. Well, I, I, I hope you're both here for a very long time, Ed. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about the Meadows quad, which was the first 
four-person chairlift in the world in 1964. That came out in 2008, and we'll talk about the current Meadows Quad in a little bit. But just just curious what happened with the original chair. Well, we, we tore it down. Um, uh, we repurposed a lot of the, 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 uh, the shivs and, and things like that. Uh, the gearbox got sold to someone. Uh, the towers uh, got scrapped out. And, and unfortunately, um, I, I took PTO the week that they were tearing the lift down. Hmm. And I came back and our area manager uh, had decided to sell the chairs for scrap. All those oh, no. old four-place chairs. Oh no! They weren't the original four-place chair with a center post. They had been, they had been upgraded uh, a, a number of years after that lift was was first uh, in service. But you know, to get rid of a hundred and some chairs for scrap prices when you can sell those doggone things now for a lot of money. Yeah. Needless to say, I wasn't that happy when I got back. Oh, oh what a bummer! <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you can. Uh you put those things up on social media and they're, they're gone in hours at whatever price you want. I mean, people want those things in their backyard. That's right. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, over to the mountain express, you mentioned that when you came back and stuck around for your uh, permanent tenure at Boyne, they were just getting ready to put in the mountain express. And, and just to go back here, this was not just Boyne's first six pack. This was the first six pack in America. Just talk about putting that chair in and, and how big of a deal that was at the time to put in this ambitious, aggressive lift. Well, what an impact it made. I, you know, it, it not only attracted uh, it attracted people that just hadn't experienced things here, and 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 a lot of them thought enough of it to stay around. And uh, what a what an ingenious invention! You you go a thousand feet a minute <laughs> up the hill, and you slow down so it can can let people off. And it's the first time, really, in the Midwest that a lot of people, especially our skiers, had ever even experienced anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the typical lift was 350 feet a minute, and, and that was it. And and mm-hmm. uh, this was just an experience that they had never had before. And, and uh, it, what a, it's been a very reliable, it's, a, it's been a beautiful piece of equipment. I just want to go back to Everett here for a minute. What does this say about Everett? When, when you think about him saying, no one else has a six-pack in America, I have a 500 foot hill. I mean, he also had Big Sky, but he decided to put it on Boyne for whatever reason. Just when you think about that, what does that tell us about who he was, how he operated, how he was building his company, how he ran things? Well, he was always going to do things the best he could possibly do. And, and it didn't matter if it was in the dining room or on the ski hill or it was making snow or uh, whatever. He was going to do it the best he could do it. He was going to do it first class. And, and, uh, and, and he was going to, you know, one of his mantras, I'm going to charge the right amount of money to do this right. Uh, he wasn't going to sell discount lift tickets. He, he was going to charge the proper amount of money to pay for the experience. And, and uh, you know, that's what he got. What a, uh, again, it's been an addition to this resort for the last 30 years that uh, it's just been unbelievable. And how did that change the experience of being at Boyne Mountain? Well, that yeah. lift. Yeah, well, it again, it opened up, uh, you know, more more train, uh, having people be able to to get to, uh, you know, not hang on the hill. The old philosophy used to be, you hang them on a chairlift to keep them off the hill. Well, you know, that was really the experience there was to ski, not to to sit on a chairlift, and I, I think you know that accomplished that. Yeah, it's just it's so interesting that you have the high speed six pack, the Mountain Express, right next to the Hemlock. So you have 
the original chair in America, right next to the first six pack in America. And as you go like one by one through these things, it's really amazing how Boyne Mountain has just, it, it's its sort of a lift museum and, a, and, and one of the most forward looking lift mountains in the country at the same time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of a photograph that Everett has of his citation jet in the in the his grandfather's uh, model nineteen twenty four Model T pickup truck side by side. Yeah, <laughs> and of course you got that eight pack going in, and we'll talk about that in a minute. I want to just uh, before we get to Boeing twenty thirty, just talk about the mountain a little bit more in general. Uh, snowmaking has always been amazing there. Um, talk a little bit about the the tradition of snowmaking, and this I'd imagine also goes back to Everett and and just wanting to aggressively bury that mountain. Well, it does. It goes back to Everett and thinking about, you know, making snow and, and, and he was really the, the push behind many of, many of the different devices that were out on the, uh, out on the hill. A lot of the things that he did in conjunction with some of the teams that he had at the time, uh, Jim Dilworth, uh, later on, John McGregor at the Highlands, Joel Woods toying with, you know, how do you make it better? And he was always trying to make something a little bit better. And, and if it, if it, and I've I've kept some of the old sketches that he used to doodle with, trying to figure out how to place the cedar. And and over the years, getting rid of the Lake Michigan cedar, where you had to the snowmaker had to go down the hill and adjust those little cedars every time, and and having that nuclei being you know automatic as opposed to uh, having to rely on a snowmaker that that his judgment was perfect coming down that hill. And, and but he was he was behind all that stuff. Uh, you know, compressors. I remember we had a compressor uh, that you want to talk about the biggest and the best that he always wanted to do. Well, he found an old army surplus compressor that was in a 40 foot semi-trailer. We called it Big Bertha. Yeah. And, and I swear I'm hard to hear, of hearing uh, to this day because of that thing. Uh, <laughs> it was so loud uh, that you could hear it in the local community when it was running a big oh, diesel no. compressor. But, but again, it was all those things that he wanted to do just to be, just to be, you know, just to improve on everything he had already done. Well, how long did Big Bertha stick around? Big Bertha was there until probably the, I don't know, the late 80s anyway. Oh, wow. All right. Well, one thing that that all that snowmaking enables is the long season. And, and that's what I've always, one thing I've always really respected about Boyne is you open as early as possible and you push the season as late as possible. And I have memories of skiing there in May in the 90s, and I couldn't even believe it was open. You had plenty of snow, but there couldn't have been 20 people on the hill. But you just kept the lift spinning, which I which I loved. Uh, just talk about the importance of the long season to Boyne Mountain as part of its identity and why the resort pushes it several weeks, because most Michigan ski areas wrap up late March. But Boyne well, just keeps going and going. Yeah, and, and we will always uh, we'll open as early as we possibly can. We'll stay open as late. It, it gives not only our pass holders the sense of value uh, that they know that if we can be open, we will be. But hey, you know, we have people that that are here that like to ski also, and so there's a lot of selfishness involved in it too. <laughs> One other ski area was actually a couple other that like to stay open late in Michigan. Ski Brule usually stays open pretty late, but one of them is Mount Bohemia. And this is an interesting one because Mount Bohemia does not make snow, but it's at the very top of the upper peninsula. And you have a little friendly wager with them, at least some years. And Carrie, I believe this was your brainstorm. So why don't you tell us about your wager with Mount Bohemia? Well, I wish I could take full credit for this, but uh, Lonnie Gleberman, the president of Mount Bohemia, 
we both sit on the MSIA board together. And so he called me up one day and he says, I kind of have a fun idea. And I think Boyne would be the perfect competitor. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, let's have a competition and see who can stay open the longest. Everyone is in a race to open in the beginning of the season. What if we make a big deal out of being open the latest and closing last? And I was like, um, of course we're in. We have snowmaking and we have grooming, Lonnie. <laughs> this seems like an easy answer. Um, so, yeah, it was it was really Lonnie's idea. And then, you know, it was very much embraced by the MSIA as well. You know, they were posting about it as we were. It got a lot of press. Um, and to make it more fun, we thought, well, what what's at stake here? And decided that it would be $1,000 to the charity of choice of the winner. So whoever mm-hmm. stayed open the latest, the loser had to pay $1,000. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it went over really well. That first year, uh, we won, of course. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> we made a nice donation to the Boyne City Food Pantry. Well, Lonnie did for us. Um, and then 2019, um, well, let me go back to 2018. That was the first year that we did it. We stayed open till May 6th that year. And yep. I remember that closing weekend, Stephen Kircher even came out and skied. But I'm, yeah. I mean, he was like hopping from snow patch to snow patch. It wasn't... Uh, <laughs> It wasn't any beautiful corduroy laid out on the hill. But um, and then in 2019, we tied. I think we both Mm. closed April 21st that year. So we both donated to each other's charity. Nice. And then, I mean, we all know what happened in 2020. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Don't have to explain that one. Right, right. And then, yeah. um, yeah. And then last year, we didn't have a very uh, deep winter. So. We're doing our snow dances already for this year, hoping we have a lot more snow and we can make it till May again. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I think Bohemia was only open for two months last year. It was rough. It was yeah, rough. Did, when, he, when he first called you and said he wanted to do a competition, did you think he was going to try to get you to do a $99 season pass? <laughs> he knows better than that. <laughs> What do you wonder how they do that? By the way, I that just amazes me. I that you know they sell a lot of them because yeah. um <laughs> they sell a lot of passes because it's low risk. I mean at $99 if you make it up there, you're golden. But if you mm-hmm. don't, you're like, "Meh, like it's not that yeah. big of a deal." So, uh I think it's it's definitely the quantity that they're selling. That's how they're making it work. Yeah, I mean a day ticket is $84. Right. So why <laughs> there's would, no reason. Not, yeah, exactly. You might as well buy a season pass and hope you make it up to to Bohemia and ski. And I think a lot of people do. And a lot of people, you know, <laughs> camp out in their parking lot and right. ski every day for months. So. All right. Well, it, it sounds like you're pretty confident in your ability to make it the last in Michigan to be open. However, the last several years, Mount Holly, of all places, has gotten the best of you, getting a lift spinning first December 9th last year, November 9th in 2019, November 15th in 2018. That beat Boyne by anywhere from one to a few days. Uh, how are you going to let Mount Holly beat you guys? You know, you phrase it like that and <laughs> competitiveness comes out and you get, you get really mad, you know, and it's like, geez, we can't have that. No, we're going to, we, you know... Uh, 
we're just we're going to do our best every year to be the, the open as soon as we can and and uh, and and close as late as we possibly can and and uh, you know we're going to have to make a special point of making sure they can't do that to us this year. <laughs> Do you have do you have target opening dates or, or are you like Sunday River? You just as soon as you can get it, the snow on the ground, you're going. Well, you know, we always say we're open from Thanksgiving to Easter, but we like to be a few weeks either side of that. You know, especially getting open, and then certainly uh, Easter when it comes late, being open past then, even in, when you can get into May. What a what a fun time, you know. A couple of years ago, we did the Dirty Dog Dash. Uh, what was that? Carry the second week of June. It's usually the three first years ago. June, yeah, right? and and uh, uh, we actually had one of the features uh, with the, that tough mudder was was uh, big snow piles. Oh wow! Over in Ramstead, wow. in, in, even in June. So wow. Now Everett wouldn't have appreciated that at all, by the way, because look <laughs> at what you wasted. All right. the money you wasted making that snow pile. <laughs> have, has Boyne ever made an October opening? Um. Never to the public. Uh, okay. Back in my younger, stupid days, we had a four-inch snowfall on October second, uh-huh. many years ago, and I skied down uh, number one uh, Alpine, uh, the the first uh, tee of the golf course, uh, number one. I skied down there. Uh, there was too many dingweeds and stuff still on the on Victor or Hemlock to come down that. I didn't feel like. I hurt myself. So mm-hmm. I took the easy way down, and but I, I skied on the 2nd of October. Yeah. I, I think folks who are listening outside the Midwest probably don't realize it, it's just not rocky terrain in the lower peninsula of Michigan. So you don't need that much snow to get going. You don't. And as long as you keep the grass cut and the, and the berries, the picker bushes out from tangling you up, you can, you can get a, you can get some snow down. You can get it packed down and groomed uh, pretty well. You're not fighting big boulders everywhere that you got to cover up. But look, uh, we have a hard time finding a rock. Uh, yeah. we're, we're all sand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I hosted uh, Tim Meyer, the owner of Caberfay, a few months back, and and he was talking about how they dug out the bottom of their peaks and moved all that dirt up to the top, which is really cool. And and it's. That's not many places where you could do that because most places where you have ski areas, you have a lot of rock. Yeah. But he said, as long as you don't hit the water table, you're fine. Yeah, same here. It's it's yeah. amazing. Little clay mixed in with it, and it's uh, it's easy digging. So I want to talk about Boeing twenty thirty, but but first, there's there's something that's been uh, that 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 I've had in my head for about twenty five years now. I just want to see what's behind it. So my first ever day at Boyne Mountain. I'll never forget it. It was St. Patrick's Day, 1995. And of course, everyone's all drunk. And I was, and I was a teenager just skiing around. It's my first time there, just seeing what Boyne's all about. And I'm riding the Victor Quad, and there's that little house or sort of a warming hut off the side of the slope, like skiers left, so to the right when you're riding up the lift. And there's this group of rowdy knuckleheads, and they got this giant slingshot, and they have it attached to posts, and they're taking snowballs. And they're launching them at the lift. And so there's snowballs flying past. I'm like, what the heck is going on? And I never experienced anything like that. Luckily, their aim was terrible. They never hit me. Uh, but what was going on there? Well, the the general debauchery of St. Patrick's Day, uh, <laughs> especially back in the day. And that was, you know, before we've, uh, you know, certainly before Avalanche Bay and, 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 and all the beginner skier and family areas that we talked about. Uh, you know, St. Patrick's Day had a had a really a life of its own where 
you'd be with 6,000 of your closest friends on a, on a, on a beautiful sunny March afternoon and uh, hanging around the halfway house at Victor. And, and, and again, the, the rules may be a, a little too relaxed at that time for some of the things. And I mentioned that you didn't want anybody to hurt themselves or anybody else. And, you know, that was kind of a, a marginal, uh, I, I don't remember the slingshot, but I do remember a, a lot of other things that, that happened there, including watching a group of, of, of probably the same knuckleheads riding the empty kegs of beer that they drank down the hill to get off the slope that day. <laughs> All right. I had always wondered if that was some kind of tradition, like knock someone off the lift. Cause there's no safety bars on that lift, or at least there wasn't back in the day. No. Um, and they were, they were, they were, you know, it was a warm day, so they were pretty icy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I imagine time. somewhere there's a story about someone that got clobbered on the side of the head with a snowball and, <laughs> and uh, we'll never forget that. But, but yeah, you know, uh, again, that, that, that whole thing took a life of its own and, and, uh, you know, I was a lot younger, so it, it was kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely uh, sort of defines Boeing culture for me when I think about it even today. So let's talk about Boeing 2030. I have some s- specific questions here, Ed, but why don't you just give us the high level overview? What is Boeing 2030? How is it going to transform Boeing Mountain? Well, we called our Renaissance uh, 2.0. And, and the first Renaissance that we had was with the, the, the well, with Disciples Village, the 118 units that we built there, uh, the Mountain Grand, the 260 units the, that are there, uh, hotel, and then Avalanche Bay. Uh, that has been just a, an amazing thing for our folks to have here. Um, you know, year round, it's a, it's a, it's a great year round. And, and it really elevated Boyne Mountain uh, to, uh, to where it's at today. It, it's been a, as far as our customer base, uh, it's so well received. And, and the, our 2030 initiative is, is really going to have that same impact, not only on the resort itself, but the communities w- around us in bringing people here. Uh, you know, we, we mentioned some of the lift, uh, you know, things that we're going to do. And, and our goal is uh, uh, to replace all the old technology lifts with, with Doppelmayr D-Line. Uh, always continue. Snowmaking is always on the forefront. Every year we do, you know, we continue to invest in snowmaking. Uh, part of that 2030 initiative is, is an outdoor part portion of Avalanche Bay. A water park's a great thing in the summertime uh, if it's raining. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on an 80 degree day, you've got 88,000 square feet that's pretty empty. Yeah. And so this outdoor component, I think, is going to be pretty cool. Uh, we've got uh, a 35 uh, really neat uh, boutique hotel rooms that are being renovated right now in the Chalet Edelweiss that's slated to finish in December. Um, we're, uh, we're redoing our airport, uh, which will include the first phase this summer, uh, or yet this fall, of, uh, of completely repaving it and the new lighting a weather station that's going to be there. Um, you know, we're 5,200 feet, so we can take on, you know, most small jet traffic. It's being increased in width to 100 feet. And, you know, what an opportunity to have an airport at our doorstep. Yeah. And really, that's another legacy of Everett. He was a pilot. He loved to fly. And, you know, who else has within several hundred yards of the base of their lifts an air, a jet strip? Yeah. Nobody. And, and so, you know, we need to take advantage of, of those little seeds that he gave us and continue to, to, to grow that. 
um, uh, the bridge is the is a is the next you know uh, great thing that's that is underway right now and should be done by the springtime. Um, so there's a lot of things a solar array that we're doing, um, you know, to help us with. We we always need to keep in mind our green initiatives. How are we how are we treating the environment with doing all this stuff? Are we are we doing things that uh, that we can to you know negate our our carbon footprint um, with our uh, with our uh, um, solar project, uh, it's, it's a 1.7 megawatt. It'll, it'll supply about 15% of the energy to the resort. Uh, a lot of people don't know, but we also have a hydroelectric plant on the Boyne river, hmm. uh, that supplies between eight and 10% of our electricity. So about 25% of our electric needs for the resort itself are going to be, uh, produced right here. And so, you know, those are pretty cool things that, that we're able to do. Uh, and 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 all part of the 2030 initiative. So lots to look into there. Let, let's dig into some of these a little bit more. Starting, I think, with the first tangible thing the skiers will actually see, which is RFID gates coming in this winter. Uh, th- this is not something that you see much in the Midwest, Ed. What made you finally decide that it was time for RFID at Bourne Mountain? Well, the convenience for the guests. Anything we can do, you know, making them fish out their season pass or or the lift ticket on a on a cold day. Uh, they'll be able to go up uh, as as we're building and replacing these lifts. The gantries that are there and and go through, and the gates will open for them. The lifts that don't have the gantries right now will be hand scanned, and, and again, it's you know they don't have to dig out their pass. The ticket checker just has to you know bang 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 uh, uh, the, the uh, each patron uh, with with a scan gun and and uh, and they're they're set. And is it just the Mountain Express that'll have gates this coming season? Yeah, and then the the uh, as we do uh, the D eight lift uh, that that's part of this twenty. Uh, well, it's underway right now in design, and 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 scheduled to install next summer. But that D eight will have a, a gantry for loading, and and as we as we either relocate the Meadows lift that we talked about to Super Bowl, and you know we could do a gantry there. But as 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 a new lift come into play. Uh, they'll they'll have the gantries there. So let's start with the with the headliner, the D eight. So that will be the first eight pack in the Midwest, and that is going to replace two triple chairs on Dispels Ridge. What made you decide to put an eight pack there? Well, we toyed around with a six or an eight place, um, and and you know I, I guess you go back to the Everett mindset. If you're going to do something, uh, do it right. And, 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 and do it big. And we looked at, you know, we weighed the options, we weighed the costs, the benefits, and, you know, what an impact to have people uh, be able to experience this, this eight place lift. And uh, to us, as we talked about it, it just became a no brainer, uh, you know, tearing down those two lifts that are over there, installing one lift that'll actually give us, you know, obviously a lot more capacity over there. And so it's, again, it was a no brainer. Are you concerned at all about overloading that terrain with that lift? You know, always concerned about everything that that you know can go wrong. Certainly, um, but but no, not not too much. Um, uh, it's there's a lot of area over there. There's a lot of little nooks and crannies, and there's several little areas that can be carved out also uh, that have that. And then with our with with the alpine lift that we have over there. There's train uh, a train down in there that can be uh, expanded on too, uh, to maybe more utilize that lift. It's not really a very busy lift, um, but but if people uh, 
are over there and 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 uh, they think it's a little crowded they can migrate that way but again great train great beginner train great intermediate train and, and we're excited to put this lift there to to uh, get people to experience it and uh, is Alpine still is a double still right for Alpine yeah yeah at least for the foreseeable future yeah. what happens to the existing disciples triples do you relocate them do you sell them um, you know we we'd be open to sell them. I, I think, uh, as we talked about, uh, the chairs themselves earlier, I think the chairs themselves have more value. Uh, okay. you know, I, I think there's, there's certainly a market for the motors, the gearbox, uh, shivs, striker bars, things like that. Uh, it's just probably not a lift that we, it's not a lift that we put up in our company anywhere again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, odds are, you know, no one else would either. So. Well, Apex is going to be something else. Uh, you have a lot more lift enhancements, as they're described, in 2030. So let's talk about those. Uh, one lift that's uh, scheduled for enhancement is the Mountain Express. Are you looking to replace that lift, which went in 1992? Or are you looking to modernize it? What, what, what's your thinking there? You know, um, the technology has is, is changed so much. And, and the difference between that lift that went in in 92 and, and, and the lift that was built in 36 next to it, the Hemlock lift, uh, you know, the, with the new Doppelmayr D-line and that, the, the the difference is almost as striking as the technology, the ease of maintenance, uh, you know, the longevity of the equipment. So the, the Mountain Express would be a replacement. And do you think that there would be a place for that somewhere else, else in the Boeing system? Or is, is three decades about the usable life of a high-speed six-pack from the 90s? Well, from that one, it, it, it would be. It, it, by time you brought, by time you adapted all the current technology to that lift, not only with the grips on the, uh, with the chairs, but, but certainly the electronics of the equipment, it just probably wouldn't be worth relocating it. And you said you'd be looking at a, another D-line to replace Mountain Express? Yeah, you know, a six or an eight place there. I could could do more than one eight at the resort. There you go. That's amazing. Uh, you also have Meadows listed as an upgrade. Did you say? Did I hear you say earlier that that the plan is to move that over to Super Bowl? We've been toying with that, um, getting rid of the, the the Super Bowl four place there that actually came from Thunder Mountain. Okay. Uh, back. Oh, I don't know in the in the nineties. I guess it would have been early, late eighties, early nineties. Uh, but taking that lift at Meadows and doing that and then relocating the current Meadows lift line with a, a, a detachable uh, that would be in the middle to help, you know, service more people in the center here too. Okay. So you would take the current Meadows lift with the loading carpet, which is not an old lift. That that lift was put in in 2008 and you would right. put that over in Super Bowl. Do you think you'd put it on the same line in Super Bowl, sort of hugging the trees? You know, we've we've we're, we're, we've talked about that, and we've talked about there's also an opportunity, uh, at least with our team here in the center. Um, mm, yeah. Now, the alignment wouldn't be uh, would be drastically different than what we had with the uh, uh, with the uh, the two place that was over there that came from Knoxville, but 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 more than likely the wood line still. But but you know, as you look at these things, you got to toy with every idea that there is because they're tough to move. Yeah. Yeah. So with Meadows, would you be looking at a six place there? Probably a six place. Yeah. yeah. And a, another D line? A D line. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the technology with Doppelmayr is, is just so superior. And, and, and uh, 
it's going to be so nice for our, our lift mechanic teams and stuff like that to be able to work and service on th- things like that, that as opposed to these, uh, the old, older riblets and stuff that we have. Yeah. That, it, I mean, it makes sense to have, to shift meadows over because I would imagine that there's a lot more skier traffic off meadows than Super Bowl. <laughs> However, don't you kind of wish you would have put meadows over there in the first place? Well, there's a lot of things that I did <laughs> 10 or 15 or 20 years ago that I wish I'd done different. And, that's you know that's probably on the list uh victor is a, an old riblet quad any sense of what you want to do there you know um that one came from that was the mcclough lift that that was moved to make room for the mountain express lift and and put in a 91 right there and 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 again it's it's part of the the replacing old technology whether it's on the same trajectory and the same length uh, you know who knows when we get to it uh it's it's been an interesting process looking at the at this uh, eight place the D eight that we're doing over there and all the tweaking and aligning and moving it mm-hmm. fifty feet this way or fifty feet that way and what does that do with the alignment and and stuff so it's it's an interesting process that even if we thought we knew now we probably don't know when we get to it. Are you thinking a high speed to replace Victor? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. A four or a six or what? Do probably you probably probably be a four place lift right there. Okay. And then where, where are you going back to the eight for a moment? Where are you going to land that where, where the current disciples Ridge is, disciples two, somewhere in the middle. It'll be just below where the disciples uh, two lift lands at the very top. Okay. Uh, obviously we're going to take out the, 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 uh, the, the uh, disciples one lift that will land there. And then we've got the bridge that lands, uh, you know, just above all of that. So we're, we're, we're packing a lot into a little area up there and we need to make sure that we're just as efficient and can get people off, off of that lift in the wintertime as, as fast as possible. And, and either if they're coming back down Miller's time to the resort, back to the lodge, or if they're skiing at Disciples still, we just need to make it so that they can get around up there as efficiently as possible. And then at the bottom, they'll load where the current Disciples 2 lift loads? Yeah, yeah, it'll be about uh, it, not quite in between disciples one and disciples two, but but you know just about in the in the center of both of those, and a little bit lower. It'll be closer to the mountain pass road than than what the two lifts are currently. Okay, nice. And then the last lift that's let, mentioned for an upgrade is Boyne Land, which, as you said, used to be in Super Bowl, and that was a uh, I think you said World's Fair lift. Uh, what do you have in mind to replace Boyne Land? You know, again, uh, just, uh, realigning that one, and we've looked at a couple different areas, taking that up uh, even even at the top of Disciples uh, with a midpoint we've talked about. We've talked about uh, re- realigning the, the lift at the bottom here to, to make uh, better use of the terrain for beginners and ski school students. Um, our magic carpet, uh, relocating that to perhaps the wood line so that uh, we don't try. We don't have to build a fence and see cross traffic. So there's a lot of little things we can do there. Not that we're going to have any more train, but just to make more efficient use of what's there. Are you thinking high speed there too? Yeah, yeah, and and, and that's more for the the ease of loading and unloading for beginners than it would be for uh, than it would be for the you know, how fast you get up the hill. Yeah, and you're looking for looking at a quad. Yeah, a quad there. Yeah. Wow, when you get through with this, you're going to have uh, one of the most advanced lift systems around. That 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 all sounds amazing. Yeah, and you know we're we're looking forward to it. We're you know it's something that you know that is just going to be uh, the, the again the next step, the next renaissance of, of what Boyne Mountain is. 
So I didn't see any explicit terrain expansions spelled out in Boeing 2030. You did mention you had some more room to maybe cut some trails off Alpine or Disciples. Um, I don't really understand how, how your property lines are and if, if there is room to expand. Should we kind of assume that the current footprint of Boyne Mountain is the Boyne Mountain we'll be skiing for the foreseeable future? We have some areas that we can expand on um, uh, uh, that, the, we'll be, that we'll be doing. We talked about some glades. We'll be doing some of that work. Um, but, but as far as another section that we can open up with new lifts, uh, although we have 3,000 acres right in this little general area, um, you know, relocating lifts, making better use of terrain really is the, the majority of the plan. Do you own the backside of Boyne Mountain? We do. That's where our two championship 18-hole golf courses are, the Alpine okay. and the Monument. Could that ever be developed as skiable terrain, the backside? You know, uh, <laughs> the, our golf course people would would probably cringe, but but uh, number one alpine would be a great beginner slope uh, let's talk about the sky bridge uh, that's a really cool project just give us an overview of of what it is and just how big this thing is well it's going to be the uh the longest tower uh, timber tower uh, suspension footbridge in the world it'll be uh, about 1200 feet long and at the midpoint where you're looking through the glass down it'll be about 120 feet off the ram's head slope Wow. Uh, it's going to give you, and this time of year is, I wish it was done now uh, because so few few people can experience the view that you're going to see with this. But just driving to the top of the hill and, and sitting up there right now and looking at the view you're going to get, that the customer is going to get with this bridge, it's just going to be phenomenal. And, and uh, uh, you know, the, our folks in Gatlinburg, if, 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 you've, uh, if you've been to Gatlinburg and seen the Gatlinburg Sky Park, it's, uh, it, you know, it, that was the company's first shot at something like this. This is going to be bigger than that. And as Steve Kircher said, if we could just be 10% as successful here with our bridge as they've been down there, we have a home run. And, and it's been, uh, the, that Gatlinburg Bridge is, is, has been amazing. I went down for the groundbreaking a couple years ago. And, and uh, after all the ceremonies and stuff, uh, we came down the hill and on the lift and, and I, I, I was dumbfounded. I looked for a city block and the sidewalk was completely packed with people trying to get in line to be, oh, wow. to be next up the lift. How wide is this thing? Cause it, from the, from the, sort of conceptual drawings, it doesn't look super wide, but is it wide nope. enough that you can kind of linger on it? Yeah, absolutely. People can walk by. Not a, it's not a problem at all. People will be able to stop and take pictures and, and whatnot. And and the, the, the glass floor in the center is, is always the thing that gets everybody's attention. So how do we get up to this thing? Hemlock lift. Um, and, and then as we get busier next fall that we anticipate, uh, we'll be using the Mountain Express lift to get people up there. And uh, in subsequent years, we could even uh, um, utilize the eight-place lift, the D8, get people up there, and they could walk from the other direction. Yeah, that w- you would just have to have a parking lot over there, right, off Mountain Pass Road? A small lot over there, yeah. Do you own that land? Could you do that? We do. We have about 3,000 acres. We, we're, we're blessed that, we, uh, that uh, our, our neighbors are, are far away. So what, when did this, how did this idea come up? Was it looking at Gatlinburg and saying, "Hey, you know what? We could do this," or have you been talking about it for a long time? How did we get? How did we get here? Well, looking at the success of Gatlinburg, looking at that valley that that so few people can see that 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 vantage point and that view, 
you know, it's been something we've been talking about for a couple of years, working on really hard for, you know, a year and a half. And, uh, and it's pretty cool. It's coming to fruition right now. The, the towers are being put together up there. Uh, they've, they've, uh, they're, they're working on the footings right now. And, and, uh, uh they know that, uh, there's snow guns that are going to be right behind them here in a, in a, in a few weeks. So they're going as fast as they can. What's your estimated completion date? Uh, spring of next year. Oh, so that'll be ready for, uh, for summertime. Yep. That's the goal. Oh, that's amazing. And, and then the D eight will be online before the next ski season, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, December, uh, December of, uh, of next year uh, is the goal to have that opened up. Do you have timelines for any of these other lifts we discussed or, or are you just taking it one lift at a time? You know, bite the apple one piece at a time. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's wrap up here by talking about passes. Boyne Mountain and Boyne Highlands are the only two Midwestern ski areas on the Icon Pass. Just curious how that pass has worked out for you and, and what percentage of your skier days do you see coming from the Icon Pass? Well, I can help out on this one. Um, so we have about 5% of our total visits over the season. Um, but that's just Boyne Mountain only. And that also includes the icon pass holders use of their friends and family vouchers. Mm -hmm. And and you actually have uh, put together a platinum pass for Boyne, which includes Boyne Mountain and Boyne Highlands and uh, Boyne Resort sister benefits and an icon base pass for just $250 more than the unlimited pass. Just curious how the reception to that product has been from your skiers. Are they excited to have this add-on where they can go and ski Colorado and all these other places? Yeah, this is the second season that we've had the Platinum Pass out into market. Um, we didn't sell very many last year, but people are catching on. They're understanding what an incredible deal it is to have gold benefits in Michigan. And then you add on that icon base for really not that much more. And yeah. Yeah, it opens the door to all these Western um, resorts that they can go to. They can go east. Um, what's, there's access to about 41 other ski resorts with the Icon Base. Um, so a lot of our diehards who have that time to travel in the winter, uh, they're taking advantage of it and thankful that we're able to provide that that offer for them. Yeah, I would imagine Blue Mountain is the closest that that would get the most usage. Because I, I, I would imagine you have a lot of pass holders kind of in Southeast Michigan, but have you, have you talked either anecdotally or do you have any data that just shows where your pass holders are traveling with this pass? Um, you know, we, we don't. And with the Canadian borders being closed, that one kind of yeah. hurt a little bit there. Um, but we are continuing to learn as we go. Icon provides, you know, a whole lot of data to us. Um, and with us going RFID, we're going to know so much more. Just yeah. even how our own pass holders use Boyne Mountain and Boyne Highlands. I mean, we're the mm -hmm. two largest ski resorts in the lower peninsula of Michigan with a shared Boyne Pass that you can ski both resorts on. But we really don't know the story of how our pass holders, you know, travel between the 30-minute drive between mm -hmm. Boyne Mountain and Boyne Highlands. Right, right. Do, do you have a sense of, of what the most popular destination is for Boyne skiers? I, I would imagine for a long, long time it was Big Sky yep. for obvious reasons, but do you think that's still true or, or are they starting to explore a little more? Um, well, and with our Gold Pass, we also provide sister benefits. So they get three days at Big Sky. Um, so it tends to be, I mean, people understand that connection here. Yeah. So uh, a lot of our 
our Michigan skiers go there, but no, I, I mean, I think it's, I don't think there's any one resort that they're going to more than other. I mean, they're definitely hitting up Colorado, but it's, it's a mix. Yeah. So you have a couple other interesting pass products I want to talk about here, Carrie. You have the Feel Free Pass, and this is just a really interesting product. I don't know if I've seen this anywhere else. Just <laughs> tell us about the Feel Free Pass and why it makes sense for Boyne and 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 how your skiers use it. Well, it's it's interesting. That was actually an idea that was born right up here in the marketing department. Um, <laughs> my digital marketing specialist at the time, Andy Smith, came up with it. And he like diagrammed it all out and he's showing it to me. And I'm like, okay, like I'll present this. Like, let's see what happens. You know, for, for a long time, our, our former CMO, Ian Arthur and Stephen, they, they had been talking about, we should have a January only pass, a February only pass. And so we just kind of took that and put it all into one pass product. You know, what if, what if we gave them a, a low affordable entry price at the 149 first year it was $99 and that includes December skiing opening day mm -hmm. till Christmas mm -hmm. and then they have the choice if they're only planning to ski the holidays then they just add the holidays or if they just want to ski in January or just in February or late season March through the end of the season they have the opportunity to kind of build their own pass it's you know what could be better? You're just kind of designing your own season. Some people know, well, we always take a February trip and Hey, let's buy this pass. We'll get a better deal. We only ski at Boyne mountain and we get early season. So maybe it'll encourage people to come out in those early December days when, you know, we don't have much of a crowd. Yeah. I really like that pass. And don't you have some kind of spring pass too, where it's, it's good at Highlands till it closes and then at the mountain till it closes. Well, no, that the one that we have is it's a Boyne Mountain specific pass, our Springlicious pass that we put out, and it goes March one through the end of the season. Um, and again, at a an affordable rate, it's a lot of the people that come to Carnival, which you mentioned, or St. Patrick's party, um, <laughs> take advantage of that. It's it's cheaper to buy that pass than it would be to buy you know a weekend like lift tickets singly. So. Um, it's a great deal and it encourages people to come out more than once. You know, if you, yeah. if you get a pass, why wouldn't you come back? And so right. again, the idea is just to encourage people to visit again. And it's, it's cool with the feel free pass. I think this year we've literally sold, there's 14 different pass combinations that you okay. could possibly make. And we sold one of each. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. At least one um, of each. <laughs> how about the under the lights pass? I, I think a lot of ski areas are afraid to do a nights only pass because they're afraid that it'll cannibalize their their full passes. But but you've been doing it. And I really like this option if I have a, a local place and just want to ski at night after work for a couple hours. Um, talk about the night pass and why that makes sense for you. So this was really created. I mean, this is created with our locals in mind, um, especially those beer league racers that come out on Wednesday nights. Mm -hmm. You just want to give them an affordable price point to get on the slopes. It's non-peak times only. It's got holiday blackouts on it. Um, and then we kind of gifted them Sunday as well. It's just, it's for the locals. It's really who we had in mind when we came up with this pass. And a lot of our locals who have kids in school here get to take advantage of our student free ride program that we have with our local schools. And if they want to ski as a family and avoid the crowds, I mean, it's really the best time to ski. <laughs> so Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It works out really great. 
All right. Well, Ed and Carrie, I, I thank you so much for your time today. I really wish you the best season and, and I, I'll, I'll be watching closely and rooting for you to beat Mount Holly and, uh, and, and seeing if you can have a good enough winter to resurrect that contest against Bohemia in the spring. Thank you, Stuart. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having us. That's Ed Grice, General Manager of Boyne Mountain, Michigan, with a special guest appearance from Kerry Roeder. Thank you both so much for sharing all that insight on 2030 with us. If you're not from the Midwest and you've never been up there, that conversation will give you some pretty good insight into the matter-of-fact style that defines people in that region. Ed's not taking himself too seriously, but he's getting things done. Big things. Thank you so much for that, Ed. I wish you the best of luck with 2030. And thank you all for listening. I know a lot of you don't ski Michigan, but it's a really interesting ski state. And if you ever do find yourself there in the winter, hit Boyne Mountain. They do a really, really outstanding job there. And you'll be surprised how big a small ski area can feel. I really love that mountain and I think you will too. Next up, I've already got these two recorded. Crystal Mountain Washington CEO Frank DeBerry this week followed by Ski Cooper GM Dan Torcell next week. Both of these guys are deeply experienced mountain leaders who spent most of their careers in the East before moving West. I enjoyed both of those conversations tremendously, and I think you will too. Whenever I can dig myself out of the Atta Bay, I will have them coming. Plenty more on the way. We will have a conversation with Vail Resorts Eastern Region CEO Tim Baker to kick off November. Then Shawnee, Maine owner Jeff Homer followed by Jackson Hole CEO, Mary-Kate Buckley, and Smuggler's Notch owner, Bill Stritzler, Wachusett owner, Jeff Crawley, Steamboat CEO, Rob Perlman, and more. All subject to change, of course, but I am feeling really good about those, and I will have some really exciting stuff to announce for you in the new year. Before we go, another reminder, as always, to please subscribe to the free Storm Skiing newsletter at stormskiing.com. Also, follow along on Twitter or Instagram at Storm Ski Journal. You can also find the storm on Facebook. Thank you all for listening. Stay well, stay safe. I'm Stuart Winchester, and I'll talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.